Thank you for joining us for Sound Reasoning with Christian apologist and minister Perseus Poku of Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's program will educate, train, and empower you to defend your Christian faith with confidence. Perseus has his bachelor's in history and a master's degree in apologetics. We hope you enjoy this time of equipping so that you can answer questions to defend your Christian faith effectively. Now here's Perseus Poku on Sound Reasoning. Welcome to Sound Reasoning. I'm your host, Perseus Poku. We want to welcome all of you that are just uh, listening to us as we continue our survey through the book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. A survey through the book of Romans from an apologetic perspective. This is uh, part four of our series dealing with Paul's letter um, to the Christians living in Rome, both Gentiles and Jews. So, uh, in continuation of chapter 1, we talked about uh, the unrighteousness that existed during the time of this letter uh, where um, different people were engaged in sexual immorality uh, women with women and men with men, uh, as found in verses 26 through 27, and as a result of their disobedience. And it's not a, just a sexual thing, right? Sin encompasses every act, whether performed or conceived in the heart, that goes against the standards of God. That's what sin is. I realize this word S-I-N is not a popular term anymore, but it doesn't matter if you want to deal with it or not. Sin still exists. And the only person that has the cure for the leverage of sin is Jesus Christ through his blood, through the propitiation of the gift that he's given us. Jesus Christ is the only one whose atonement can put sin under control. So it's important that we as Christians never forget uh, that when, when Paul or any other writer is dealing with a specific sin, that sin is not in a vacuum, meaning that if you just commit this one type of sin, then we negate or forget the other sins that the Bible talks about. Uh, So, it's important to just uh, remind yourself that all sin is unacceptable in God's eyesight. All sins are equal, but the ramifications are not all equal. All sins are equal, but the ramifications are not all equal. So, it's best to just uh, live for righteousness whereby we're not uh, put in a place where sin becomes comfortable. So again, Paul is highlighting the sin that's dominating the culture of Rome. This type of sexual immorality immorality manifested by same-sex attractions and a proclivity to lay with uh, people of the same gender. So, as a result of disobedience, God gave them up to a reprobate mind, verse 28, 
Paul concludes this section by again highlighting unrighteous behavior which Christians ought to avoid. Then he encourages them. And that's the thing about God. God takes away, but he replaces it with something better. He replaces it with something more spiritual. He replaces it with, he replaces whatever he takes from us with something that's more full. The devil, again, would have us to concentrate on the prohibition, meaning the things we can't do, versus the provision, which is the things that God has given us and, and God has uh, desired for us. So do not focus on the prohibition, but rather focus on the provision. Because if you concentrate on the prohibition, then you become like Adam and Eve. God gave them everything they needed in the garden except this one tree. But yet, because of their fixation on what they couldn't have, they ignored the 99% and went after the 1%. So we that are thirsting for righteousness must avoid this natural tendency to always think about what we can't have. If you want to make it through this journey, through faith, concentrate on the things that you can have. Concentrate on the things that you can have. And in doing so, we learn to be grateful for what we have. And as we've heard numerous times, Someone always has it worse in terms of their condition than us. It is the devil's uh, maneuver to try to get us distracted from what God wants us to focus on. And this is why in Philippians, uh, for the fourth chapter, Paul talks about if there be anything true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. If there's going to be any virtue, if there's going to be any praise, these are the things we ought to think about. Think about the things that are true. Think about the things that are honest. Think of, about the things that are just. Think about the things that are pure. Think about the things that are lovely. So if there's going to be any virtue coming out of us, if there's going to be any praise coming through us, we have to think on these things. Then Paul encourage, encourages the believers that are living in Rome to stay away from the following. And he's specific. These are things that are uh, descriptive during the time of Paul's life as he writes this to the Christians in Rome, but yet prescriptive, meaning that these are instructions, godly instructions that are binding for all Christians. Number one, Paul says, stay away from unrighteousness. Stay away from fornication, number two. Stay away from wickedness, number three. Stay away from covetousness, coveting things that other people have. You're not just appreciative of what they have, but you want what they have. You, you, you don't want something similar to what they have, but you want what they have. Covetousness will lead you down the wrong path. Maliciousness, stay away from that, number five. Number six, stay away from envy. 
Number seven, stay away from murder. Number eight, stay away from causing strife. Number nine, stay away from being deceitful. Number 10, stay away from malice. Number 11, stay away from gossipers or whisperers. Number 12, stay away from backbiting or being slanderous. Number 13, uh, stay away from people who hate God. Number 14, um, despitefulness, those that are insolent. Number 15, don't engage in pride and arrogance. Number 16, don't be a boaster of oneself. Don't be a boaster of oneself. And the next one, uh, do not engage in being an inventor of evil things. Don't sit down and plot things that are evil. That's not uh, the standard of a, of a Christian. Christians do not do that. Uh, number 18, disobedient to parents. Do not disobey your parents. Do not be disrespectful to your parents. Number 19, lack of understanding. Number 20, covenant breaker, meaning you make a contract and uh, you have no issues with breaking the contract. The Christian must be a man or woman of his word. Number 21, do not be unloving. Number 22, um, unchangeable feelings. Uh, do not be implacable, meaning that um, you have uh, unchangeable feelings. Uh, you, you, you are stuck in your ways like a, uh, uh, rooted in bad behavior, uh, rooted with this issue and that you're not willing to budge, even if the Holy Spirit is working on you to stop doing whatever it is that you're doing. So we need to stay away from those type of things. Then unmerciful, unmerciful. Uh, there is no such thing as a Christian who can't display mercy toward others. That is not uh, the hallmark of Christianity. We must display mercy. Why? Because God has been merciful to us. So we must be merciful. Then Paul writes that those who commit the aforementioned things that I just listed are worthy of death. This is serious because uh, individuals who claim to know the Lord, but yet have no uh, reservation about being malicious. They have no reservations about, not, about uh, a lack of mercy. And Paul is, is basically uh, condemning those who profess to know the Lord, but are still producing bad fruit. Only God knows the heart, but we as believers are, are commissioned or God has given us the authority to be fruit inspectors. Then more specifically, somebody else, meaning your neighbor, may not know who you really are, but God does. So all of us need to look in the mirror, as James says, and not forget who we are. This Christian walk is individualistic in the sense that it's between you and God. 
So if you're lying to yourself, we're not hurting anybody else but us. And God is saying, this power, this dunamis power that came with the resurrection of Jesus Christ is powerful enough to get us to change that we may not commit uh, the aforementioned violations that we talked about. Uh, A person who says they're Christian, but they're still fornicating uh, without trying to work on it. Uh, They're still uh, committing wicked acts. Uh, They're still coveting. They're still being malicious. Uh, They're still envying. They're even sitting down to murder, uh, whether physical or uh, just um, metaphorical. It doesn't matter. We as Christians are called to a higher standard. And so if we know Christ, then that power should compel us to give in and surrender our ways for the ways of God. And that's very important. We should surrender our ways that we may look at what God has for us. And when we surrender to God, he gives us uh, strength through the power of the Holy Ghost that we may be able to fulfill whatever it is he wants us to fulfill. So that's a summary of chapter one of the book of Romans. Again, this is a survey, so we're not going uh, verse by verse by verse. Uh, We're just summarizing chapter one. Now let's look at chapter two. Chapter two further illustrates the concept of God being a righteous judge. His judgment is based on his ontological nature, meaning the beingness of God. And the beingness of God is truth, verse 2, chapter 2, verse 2. God will judge everyone according to his or her deeds, as we see in verse 6. At the conclusion of the matter, all people will receive appropriate judgment. This is important. God is the one that's going to settle all of our account. So when we say things like, the Lord knows my heart, Be careful that you're not saying that just so you can relax in your servitude and make excuses, built-in excuses of why you didn't do certain things or why you're trying trying to justify why you are doing certain things that you ought not to be doing. So, yes, God knows our heart. And when the end comes, he's going to sift out the wheat from the chaff. He's the one that's going to sift out uh, the, the sheep from the goat. God is the one that's going to say, uh, I receive you. Well done, my good and faithful servant. So when we talk about God knowing our heart, he knows it completely. He knows when we're lying. He knows when we are saying one thing, but our heart really is into something else. So this Christian walk is not to be toyed with. We shouldn't play church. We shouldn't play our, uh, play around with our relationship with the master of the heavens. So here we go. At the conclusion of the matter, all people will receive their judgment. 
And Paul says this. He says, eternal life will be given to those who continue to do good and seek glory. So those who are genuinely uh, Christians, those who have uh, agree to make Christ your Lord and Savior, not just by lip service, but through their actions. Those who have a legitimate relationship with the God of the universe, th- those are likely uh, to be uh, in good standings with God. And it's a promise uh, that we're sealed until the day of redemption, and God will reward us accordingly. Then the second thing Paul wants us to get out of this is those who are self-seeking and don't follow the truth will receive wrath, tribulation, and anguish. So this is uh, the alternative. The first alternative is eternal life will be given to those who continue to do good. The other alternative is those who are self-seeking and don't follow the truth will receive wrath, tribulation, and anguish. Verse 9. And we don't want to be part of the second group. Uh, it's hard enough without also having to uh, go against God. It's hard enough being a Christian in this life, dealing with the enemy, dealing with uh, those that come up against us. But it's even more difficult, if not impossible, to deal with those issues and also be dealing uh, with God, meaning that we're going against God and thinking that we are going to experience some sort of peace. Uh, that's not going to happen. So it's very important uh, that we surrender our will to that of God. Then there's a key lesson in here, that there's no partiality with God. Verse 11, God will judge the Jews as well as the Greeks. The Jews, if we remember, were afforded uh, the invitation first to accept the Messiah, then the Gentiles. So as a result, the Jews uh, will not have an excuse when the day of judgment arrives because they were first invited. Conversely, the Gentiles also will be left without an excuse because of nature. Verse 14. And we talked about in the first chapter, as it relates to judgment of the non-believer, uh, author Gib Martin, uh, he wrote the following, that the Gentiles did not have a Mosaic law. Uh, they, didn't have a, they did have a conscience, rather. Paul speaks of their conscience as, as, as accusing or else excusing them, Romans 2.15. In other words, when they, the Gentiles, did something wrong, God gave them a guilty conscience, but they made excuses. But both of these things, feeling guilty and defending themselves, are proof that they had violated their consciences. If the Gentiles hadn't violated their conscience, they wouldn't have felt guilty. If they hadn't violated their conscience, they wouldn't have had any need for excuses. Paul is pointing out that people are condemned apart from God's law because they know they have violated their own standards, much less God, and their own standards is God-given. It's something that God puts in us, that you, we all have enough in us to uh, realize our transgressions or to realize that their natural boundaries have been violated. Amen. So Paul challenges those 
who are Jews to not take God's grace for granted. He argues that being a Jew by race does not automatically justify you. Furthermore, practicing the law as uh, interpreted by the religious leaders at that time would not justify them. He presents the following rhetorical questions. He compares what they claim to be do, uh, what they claim to be doing versus what they are actually doing. This is what Paul was doing. In other words, saying you are keeping the law and naturally breaking the law of God is not profitable. It's not profitable. Look at Matthew fifteen eighty nine. These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So uh, this is God speaking to the religious leaders at that time. Uh, it's quoted by Christ himself, uh, meaning that some people worship with their mouth, but not with their heart. And God is interested in the circumcision of the heart. So we got to be careful of our motives if we say that we're living for Christ. We have to be careful. And all of this, I don't want us to lose sight of this. All of this uh, is really about, number one, being in good standings with God. It's not about checking off a morality list. This is not what this message is about. It's not about uh, saying that I visited church every Sunday when we could meet. It's not about us saying that I don't drink. I don't smoke, I don't fornicate, I don't gossip. It's not about those popular Christian sins. This is about a a relationship with the God of the universe where we are uh, closely connected to him and we're not just serving him to check off a list, but we're serving him because we believe in agreement with God that certain things that we're doing is not acceptable. And because we desire peace in our homes and because we, we desire prosperity, not just physical or material prosperity, but because we, exp- uh, we want to experience the joy that surpasses all understanding, there are things that we just can't do. And that's Uh, the message that I want us to get from uh, this episode. Remember that God loves you, and he's inviting you into a closeness, a relationship, whereby we can live out our righteousness in him. Amen. Our time has expired. Uh, It's always so short, uh, but we thank you for listening, and as always, We solicit your prayers as we uh, continue to train Christians to defend the faith globally. Uh, For those of you uh, that are listening to us all around the world, we appreciate your support. And if the Holy Spirit touches your heart, please uh, remember to send in your love offering. Uh, You can go online and uh, donate through srministries.org or make your check out to Sound Reason Ministries. P.O. Box 582-306, El Grove, California, 95758. And remember, 
to continue to do for the truth what so many people do for a lie. Thanks for listening to Sound Reasoning with apologist and minister Perseus Poku from Sound Reasoning Ministries. It's our prayer that today's lesson has equipped you to share and defend your Christian faith with boldness. Sound Reasoning Ministries offers training in apologetics, biblical studies, and systematic theology. Join in on discussions on Facebook at Sound Reasoning Ministries. For more information about the ministry, to send an email, ask a question, or support the ministry, visit online at srministries.org. That's srministries.org. Listen again next week at this same time. And remember, Titus 1.9 says, Hold firm to the trustworthy message as has been taught so that you can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Sound Reasoning Ministries, srministries.org. What happens when a writer and former history teacher goes toe-to-toe with his best friend, a nationally touring stand-up comedian? Total carnage, that's what. Two men enter, and two men leave, because that's how it works. (laughs) Actually, you get hilarious, real, and insightful conversations about life, history, culture, faith, and everything in between. Join me, comedian Johnny W., and my pal, author, and speaker John Driver for Talk About That at LifeAudio.com or wherever you get your podcasts.